Three, two, one. Welcome to the Dave of the Dog Trainer podcast episode. 128. 128. Um, well, we just spent 15 minutes with some technical difficulties on our end. <laughs> it's been the first time in probably like 100 episodes that we've had technical yeah. difficulties. So let's hope that uh, everything works out yeah. and it doesn't happen again. We need one of those, uh, you know, days since last incident. Yeah, uh, right. Zero days. Zero days now. Zero days. Um, Josh, what is new? All right. Well, what's that thing on your shirt? Uh, <laughs> this is a, a test print for uh, coveted apparel, which is uh, the clothing company. I'm starting with a family member, um, and we got some test prints for a video hype video we shot, which I showed David, and he thought it was sick. Um, we did that on Tuesday, so it was. It's nice to. You know, when you, you talk uh, talk about something for you know like one or two years, and then you finally have something tangible mm. in your in your hands of the thing you've been talking about. It's right there. Yeah, it feels good. It feels good. So big things are coming with that. Give me like the give me the the elevator pitch for coveted apparel. The elevator pitch. Give me the elevator pitch. What are you trying to do? <laughs> What's like? What's the? What's the? What are you trying to? What are you trying to bring back to the uh, the 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 apparel world? <laughs> I just want to make high quality, custom fit, athletic clothing that you can wash a hundred times and it still fits perfect. Some might say after washing it a hundred times, it fits better. Yeah, yeah. Unlike uh, you know every. Hardcore band shirt where you wash it once and then uh, it's a belly shirt. I'll tell you, there are some <laughs> shirts I have though that after washing and drying it like literally five hundred times, it's mm. like the most comfortable piece of clothing that I own. Yeah, you know. Yeah, probably doesn't look as flattering because it's all like you know, stretched <laughs> like you know. Yeah, but it's it is <clears throat> it is fitted to the way I like it. Yes, but uh, yeah, that's I just want to. Deliver a high quality product that I would use. I love it. Yeah. So it's uh, going to be a large uphill battle. I'm going to have to fight the boss. The boss. Yeah. Um, everyone go listen to Alex Hormozzi's last u- latest YouTube video, and then you'll understand. Mm. And, yeah. and once again, we already talked about that for about 45 minutes, yeah. too, which probably would have made a very good podcast episode, too. Yeah, it really would have. Give <laughs> us the cliff notes on the boss. Mm. What's the boss? The boss. And how can how can our listeners apply it to their life? Yeah. The the <clears throat> Alex Hermosi's version of the boss of life is when things get difficult. The hard work. When it's really tough and it seems like it would be easier to quit than to continue on. And that's when you lose to the boss. Or you fight the boss, you work through it, and you get on the other side and you reap all the fruits of your labor. That's, uh, that's, that the, that's the Cliff Notes version? That's the Cliff Notes, basically. What mistake do people make when facing the boss? Oh, yeah. They run away. They run away from Yeah, that. they can't beat the boss. They run away and try to find <clears throat> a way around. But it's always another boss. There's always another boss there. Yep. So you got to face one at some point. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was an interesting conversation we were having because the way mm-hmm. that jo- so Josh, you watched this video obviously, or you started watching this video mm-hmm. today, 
right? Yep. And the premise of it is a lot of people will be working through life, obviously, right? Facing adversity, facing struggles, stuff like that. And, and all of that kind of stuff is, is kind of the boss, right? Mm-hmm. The boss of life is you got to get past these massive hurdles to get to your next tier of success, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, as they're facing those first couple of bosses, right? As they're facing those first couple of like major hurdles, right? Or major struggles that they might be experiencing, whether it's just like in life in general, right? In their business and whatever it is that they're trying to do, they'll kind of, you know, be tempted to look away towards Joe Schmo over there that seems to be doing everything just great. And they've already faced a couple of bosses, but we don't know that. We just look at, wow, they're succeeding with that thing, so maybe I should, this is really hard. Yeah. Maybe I should stop this and I should try to divert my attention towards that thing, mm-hmm. right? And what inevitably happens is those unseen bosses that Joe Schmo over there has faced to get to that point are right there in your way again that mm-hmm. you have to overcome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, if you're going to achieve anything of noteworthiness, you are going to face some serious adversity and some serious hurdles, and you got to be prepared for that. And you got to feel confident that by working hard through those moments of adversity and not stopping and not being tempted by all those other things that seem so much more uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 nice, we'll just say, yeah, um, that um, you will get past it yeah. and you'll achieve that next level. Really uh, hits home to that. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. I mean, it's, that's really what it is, right? And, yeah. and the interesting thing about this is, like, all these concepts we're talking about, right, or we were talking about earlier, like, it's not new. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like this is not, like, like Alex Hormozy like, brought this idea to the world, yeah. and nobody's ever known it before or anything like that. It's just, mm-hmm. like, sometimes people have such a great way of articulating a point in a mm-hmm. way that makes it resonate yeah. to the stage you're at in life. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, whatever it is about the way that he presented it, and maybe it's where you're currently at in your journey towards mm-hmm. some of these types of things, like it was able to like really hit home, yeah. right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and then um, a- another good one was uh, that uh, the the other podcast that I sent you um, in text yeah, a yeah. few days ago. Mm-hmm. The Hard AF. Hard AF with yeah. Andy Frisaz. Yeah. He would, look up uh, his name here. Yeah, real... Uh, just a real quick note on that. Uh, one of the things he was talking about was how... Frisella. Frisella. Andy Frisella. Yeah, Andy Frisella. He was talking about how people sometimes don't even start anything because they look, oh, well, this guy had you know rich parents, so he had more capital to start out with, or, or this has been done a million times. And he was like, he literally said, he said, motherfucker, everything's been done already. Yeah. You know, and... And it's just how are you going to make it different? How are you going to, you know, pl- you know, plug your your way into this? Like, yeah. no matter which way, which path you go, it's been taken pretty much mm-hmm. at this point, you know, in society. So, don't let that hold you back, basically. And to look at it about. even deeper, like, like it all boils down to like mental roadblocks are very real. You know, most of the roadblocks you face or most of the bosses you have to face in life and stuff like that, like, it's 99.9% of the time, like, yourself getting in the way, 
Yeah. You know, like, you know the solutions. You know the things you need to do. But, like, we make up these stories of, like, oh, well, somebody else did it. So, like, why would I be able to do it, right? Or mm-hmm. or I don't think I'm good enough to get past this stage. Yeah. Or maybe I'm not cut out for this or whatever, you know. But in actuality, like, you know what to do. And you need to just, like, turn your brain off and just do it sometimes. Yeah. You know, especially, like, in a saturated market, like, I guess, you know, clothing apparel is, uh <laughs> There's 385 million people in the United States, roughly. I think there might be more now. But that's just in the United States. That's a lot of uh, people that have to have Mm T-shirts. Like, you know, probably 100 million of those are working out at some point. And that's that's just in America alone. We're not talking about the rest of the world, which is what? Are we at 9 billion yet? I have no clue. I have no clue either. But, you know. I'm not up to date on the census. So there, yeah. So there might be like three to five thousand clothing companies, but uh, they're servicing billions of people. Yeah, you know, there there's always going to be a market, no matter no matter what you're making. You know, whether it's Topo Chico, yeah, or or clothes. That's a funny point you just made because like let's apply this to dog training for a second, right? And apply it to a lot of our listeners who might be dog trainers themselves, right? Um, I would say I sometimes getting back to like mental roadblocks, like I, I face shit like that all the time. And like yeah. sometimes I'll like, you know, we'll have a really good year or like a really good month or something like that. And then I'll just be like, damn, I was like, there's no way we're going to be able to sustain that. Right. Yeah. There's no way that that many people are going to hire us consistently month after month after month after year after year mm-hmm. after year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and it gets really easy to to doubt and look at like, oh, my God, like we're going to like we're just not going to have we're not going to have enough business to like keep flourishing and keep yeah. maintaining this pace. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I look at like you were just saying, like how many people live in the greater Cleveland, Ohio, northeast Ohio area? Right? <laughs> exactly. Let's look at it. I, I'm I, curious. Yeah. I think just the metropolitan <laughs> area is like 300,000. East Ohio population. <laughs> so Northeast Ohio, this isn't even all of Ohio, which we could draw from all of Ohio, realistically. Mm-hmm. 4,502,460 residents. Yeah. And I'll say 85% of those have dogs. <laughs> I would say a lot of those have dogs. Yeah. And I would say that really in the end of the day, like how many clients do you need to sustain like a good company? Like we train, what well, we figured this out before, I think. Let's say for board and train, 10 dogs a month. Sometimes it's 12 dogs a month, but let's say 10 times 12 months. That's 120 dogs. One-on-one lessons, let's say uh, uh, per quarter, let's just say 40, right? So like 40 times 4 plus 120. If I can get 280 to 350 of those 4.5 million people... (laughs) Yeah. To sign up for dog training, yeah, every single year, mm-hmm. I'm gonna be just fine. And I would say my probability of getting what what percentage is that? That's I I don't even know how low of a percentage that is. Of, yeah, of four and a half million. Yeah, I'm gonna be just fine. And even putting it out that way, like looking at it that way, I think why couldn't I do five hundred a year? Why can't I do six hundred a year? Why can't I do a thousand a year? Yeah, right. It puts you into a different state of mind where you start looking at it more pragmatically and more solution oriented, mm-hmm. uh, solution oriented tidness, whatever <laughs> whatever the right word is. Yeah. Of how do I grow it even bigger? Like if there's mm-hmm. that many fucking people that are within a 
hour and a half drive of us. How do I get in contact with those people? So that's really, you start looking at then, what's the solution that I need to solve? The solution I need to solve, which is how do I get myself in front of those people so they can become potential clients? Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's why, you know. And that is how you keep growing. (laughs) That is how you stay growth mindset is by looking at it instead of using it as a, because that problem, right? That's a mental roadblock of me being like, oh my God, we're not going to be able to sustain this amount of business forever Mm -hmm. and ever and ever until I ultimately retire at some point. Like there's no way we'll be able to do that. But in actuality, it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. I could triple that and sustain it until I fucking retire if I put myself into the right mindset to do mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and you still would never scratch all four million yep. people, you know. Yeah, and I think a good thing for you now, you know, are you what nine years into this now? Technically, like in your dog. Training well, career? as as an owner of the dog training business, yeah, yeah. yeah like eight and a half. Years. Eight and a half. Yeah. And now, like, you're at the point where, I mean, you've already had it, but, like, returning clients, right, that have maybe gone through that dog, the rest of that dog's life, and now they have new puppies. Bingo. You know? You got retaining clients on top of... That's how you make that four and a half million number even bigger. Yeah. Right? Because you don't factor in 10 years from now when Mm -hmm. that person gets another dog, if they still live in the Cleveland area, that just tacks on top of that number. Exactly. So the we say all this because like the mental roadblock is really the problem. Yeah. Right? Look at it solution oriented. Like if you're struggling and if your dog training business is not where you want it to be, right? It could be much bigger. Yeah. It can be, right? There's there's no questions asked. It could be much bigger than mm-hmm. it is right now if you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And all you need to do is be willing to put in the extra work, mm-hmm. face the boss, and not just put in the work, but understand and figure out the solution to your problem. Yep. How do you get yourself in front of more people? And how do you make sure your service is up to par so when you get yourself in front of those people, you can continue to grow? Yeah. Dropping the knowledge right here. Yeah, that's that's just a little bit of knowledge from a, uh, a Forbes 30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should talk about that Let's now. Let's go. Let's go. So if you guys haven't seen, uh, it was, this was pretty exciting, actually. So yesterday I woke up. And I found out that I made the Forbes 30 under 30 local list. It's pretty fucking dope. So the local list. So listen, this isn't like Forbes 30 under 30, like fucking worldwide. Because I think I looked at that list and it's like fucking Haley Bieber and like people like that, which obviously, you know, I'm not going to be on that list. (laughs) But the 30 under 30 local is pretty cool. So it's a thing they did this year where they picked 10 cities throughout America. Right. Cleveland was one of those 10 cities. Uh, and they picked 30 people that are under 30 years old in each one of those cities um, that they think are crushing it in their prospective uh, industry. Yeah. So um, I don't really know how the process worked. I know uh, Kate nominated me for it. Um, I think the staff kind of went in and, and, and nominated me for it, which obviously very, very appreciative of that. And then it went through like a voting process and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and yeah, like I said, yesterday I woke up and saw the article went live. Uh, it was pretty sweet. Yeah. So out of that uh, 385 million people, you got picked to be 30, what, however many cities they had, what, 300, I guess, people. You were picked to be one of those 300 people. Pretty That's dope. pretty fucking crazy, bro. It's pretty dope. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 pretty cool. You know, like I don't like I don't put myself out there and like, you know, like 
fucking like reach out to people and try to make these like uh like connections to get nominated for like right now yeah. i think they're doing like cleveland scene magazine best of cleveland and all this kind of stuff like i've never really put myself out yeah. there for those types of things mm-hmm. so like this was a pretty cool one to just kind of get you yeah. know um and to just kind of validate somebody called me from like uh greater cleveland something yesterday like after it happened they're like can we get a they were like getting like little like quotes from people and stuff and they're like yeah. you know like what does it mean to you to be on it and this and that and it's like you know again it's 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 sweet right like it's it's cool because it kind of just validates like you're you're moving a lot you're doing something with yourself you mm-hmm. know what i mean like like, I always tell everybody, like, I never went to, like, college or, like, you know, like, growing up in, like, high school and stuff like that. Like, I was the fucking kid that everybody was probably like, man, this dude needs to figure out his shit. <laughs> you know, like, he's, he's probably not going to, like, go anywhere in, in this and that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, I, I feel like through all of that, I just was always keenly aware that, like, I had, you know, motivate like internal motivation it just was i just had to figure out what to direct it towards Mm -hmm. you know and once i found some things to direct it towards at first it was music and you know we wound up doing very well in that right no that was Mm -hmm. really cool right then we transitioned to dogs and and that continued to grow and it's like as soon as i got that passion like locked on to something um it was like sky's the limit and uh you know it's 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 really it's really cool to see I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk on it too much, but like it was is a is a dope thing to 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 kind of have happen, you know. Yeah, <clears throat> honestly, like being in the whole music industry for a little bit, like yeah, <laughs> that taught me more about business ethics than anything else in life. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> it's like because you have to market yourself, you have to buy your own apparel, you have to. You know, make sure your tour dates are going through, that you're going to the studio, like, and you have to manage all this. You have to buy a van. You have to stip in, like, food rations, you know. Yeah. It, it's, it, it really is a, a great character builder. Yeah, and, and I it's funny. I joke that, you know, if I was back in the music industry now and trying to pursue that full time mm-hmm. and looking at, like, what we had, man, I could think of, like, 50 fucking things that yeah. could have... Like, I really genuinely think, like, if I wanted to go back to that, if, like, dog training fell apart or, like, wasn't a thing anymore for me, I could fucking blow that shit up now because, like, I just look at the things certain bands are doing and stuff. Yeah. And getting back to our conversation we had last week at the beginning, which is, like, learning from things you like and, like, you don't like and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, I feel like there's so many things that you could do to, like, really, really, really make sure that you succeed with something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> as opposed to just fucking winging it. Yeah. You know? Well, that, and that was actually, Hermosi said something about that. He was like, So you guys all came here and you paid me to learn, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, Well, what's the definition of learning? It's like doing something differently. Yeah. You know? And he's like, If you, if you come here and then go back home and do the same things still over again, yeah. you learn nothing from me and yeah, you yeah. threw all your money away. <laughs> I was like, I mean, he's got a great point, you know, because, you know, all the time you you watch these, you know, podcasts, gurus, videos, whatever. But if if you're just like, yeah, that's cool. And then you never like implement any of the little bit of knowledge that they give you in those. Like, (laughs) wow, you're just doing it to like feel good at that point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I would. I would completely agree. And then and then my last thing I was going to say is uh, because I made the uh, Instagram for Coveted Apparel. Yeah. And. I had a hard time like finding the name, like getting a username, uh-huh. because there was all these dead carcasses of 
people that have tried to make some Oh, this is an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all the dead carcasses <clears throat> of other coveteds that tried, and, you know, the, la- the last post was four years ago, five years ago. One was from 2014. Yeah. You know, and you could see where people just tried and then uh, realized the boss was too much for them. Yeah. Yeah, you just got to commit, you know? Commit. There's the the world is uh the world is available to you you know like if there's something you really like and you're willing to put in a little bit yeah. of work for it like you could achieve yeah. things you never you never thought you'd be able to achieve. Let me see. I want to I want to give you this real quick. <clears throat> Coveted definition. Coveted adjective greatly desired or envied. I greatly desire it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Well, I'm excited to get some coveted apparel. So. Yeah. Let us know when it's available. I will. And we'll have everybody on this podcast buy some of that shit. Oh, I would appreciate Damn. all of you. Yeah, yeah. Train your dogs in coveted apparel. <laughs> yeah. Um. Hell yeah. All right. So dog training related here. Um. <laughs> we're gonna move on to. Uh. We got two different topics today to talk about. So first and foremost, we're going to talk about a little video that we got kind of popping off on TikTok right now. All right. <clears throat> you never know what we're going to get into in the beginning of these, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> you have to come with uh, no expectations at first. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so uh, this is a post of a session Michelle is doing with, uh, with a puppy right now. Right? Oh, okay. Um, and this was just a little clip that we posted, like 60 seconds long. And it's kind of been popping off. It's got almost 100,000 views and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, and it's really good, right? So the, the title of this is Using the Crate to Create Structure with Your Puppy. So let's watch it, and then we're going to talk about it a little All bit. right. Give it to me. My philosophy with puppies in the crate is that the default is they're in the crate. And if they're not in the crate, you have to give me a really good reason why. Really good reasons why qualify as they're eating, they're going for a walk, we're doing training, they're actively playing, or they're intentionally out of the crate because we're settling together and we're teaching you how to relax with the family while we watch a movie or a TV show. If you are not directly interacting with your dog for an intentional purpose, they should not be loose. Because at this age, there's no productivity in that whatsoever. It just sets them up to have way too much freedom too fast. And that can start to compound on the behaviors you're starting to see where she's getting a little bit too big for her britches. And a lot of her aggression that you're seeing when she's sleeping, she might just be overexhausted, overstimulated, and be like, I'm done, everyone leave me alone. And that could very well be just because she doesn't feel like she has somewhere that she can just get away and decompress. Puppies at her age, they sleep like 20 hours a day. My philosophy. Okay, so solid post, right? Yeah. So this is this is something that that stirred up quite a bit of debate in the comment section, right? Really? And I would say the vast majority of the comments are people saying, "I did this with my puppy. It helped so much. It helped my dog to one really enjoy their crate. It helped two to make sure that." We got past housebreaking issues and stuff like that really quick because obviously we use the crate as the place where the dog generally won't go to the bathroom mm-hmm. so that they don't rehearse going to the bathroom in the house all the time. Yeah. Three, they're sleeping all the time anyways. And, you know, when they are tired, they generally get cranky, kind of like children. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
they're like children from the sense of like when they get tired, they get more agitated to try to keep themselves awake and mm-hmm. more antsy and more annoying and stuff like that, right? So it helped prevent a lot of that kind of stuff. And three, when your dog is out of the crate, especially if we're not supervising them, that is prime time when dogs learn bad behavioral issues in the first place. Yeah. Right? Yep. The more opportunity they have to be out, the more opportunity there is for them to rehearse things. And by implementing this protocol and having the dog out, obviously, but making sure it's only when we're able to directly supervise them, we're intentionally doing something with them, we're teaching them to chill, something like that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they never learn these bad behavioral issues in the first place, right? So that was like, I would say 50% of the comments. Mm -hmm. Maybe like 30% of the comments was the other side of the spectrum, which is, well, this is just teaching people to just... Well, one of the comments in particular on it was like... Oh, boy. Hold on. Let me find it. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. I used to think this way, too. In reality, it's a great way to have a dog with no off switch. Puppy-proof your house. Stuff like that. Mm. Right? So people just saying that you're teaching people to over-crate their dogs and... You know, then you're and then some of the other comments were like, oh, so what do you want us to just keep the dog in the crate 24 seven things like that? And it's like, well, that's actually not Uh, what we said at all in the video because we listed off about 25 different places to have the dog out of the crate. Did you listen to the video? And then the other 20 percent of the people, I would say, were basically just asking questions of like, okay, well, when do I phase away from this, right? So what I want to do is I want to take some time to kind of elaborate on this post a little bit. And I'm not going to speak for Michelle because, again, she, I'm sure, has her own takes and opinions on all this kind of stuff. But I'm going to look at this on how I would answer some of those types of questions Mm -hmm. and just react to the video as a whole. So first off, like I said, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal advice. This is something that the advice I don't see given out enough, right? A lot of times I see, you know, puppy advice is solely like socializing the puppy and doing training and this and that. But in actuality, people don't realize how much goes into just living with your puppy early on in things, Mm -hmm. right? Now, um, getting to the 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 first part of the conversation which is overcrating right mm-hmm. um i think one of the missing pieces here of this conversation is just the fact that we're specifying really young dogs right yeah. we're talking when you bring your 8 week old puppy home your 10 week old puppy your 12 14 16 week old puppy yeah. right we're Little talking like the guys. first month or so that you have your puppy home yeah this is a very important protocol to implement with them, mm-hmm. right? Those dogs are learning everything about what they're going to be able to get away with, what they're not going to be able to get away with, you know, what's expected of them, what's yeah. not expected of them, all that kind of stuff in the house for the mm-hmm. first like four to six weeks. And I would even go as far as say, not even just puppies. If you adopt a new dog, you could implement a very similar protocol with them to make sure that you put them in a position to succeed. You make sure that they're not in a position to rehearse all these unwanted behaviors all the time. And you could teach them the ropes of the house and then slowly start to give them more and more freedom. 
Yeah. Right. So the, the argument that they're trying to say is by teaching them that there, there's no off switch. You're te- so what they're saying with that, and they're not totally wrong with this, but I'll, I'll explain how it doesn't apply to this situation. So what they're mm. implying is that by overcreating the dog and only taking the dog out when you are intentionally working with them. So you mm. take them out for a training session, right? Mm. You take them out for some play outside. You take them out to go for a walk. You take them out to play with the kids, anything like that. You are teaching the dog that when we come out of the crate, get really amped up because something fun is going to happen, right? Mm. And they're not wrong with that. One of the biggest techniques that used to be utilized a lot in the sport dog world, and I think still is to some extent, is what we call social isolation, right? So basically what that means is the dog is crated all the time, and the dog only comes out when they're going to work for like a week, right? Mm. And what happens is every time the dog comes out, it's their only chance to go fucking crazy, get the energy out, engage with us, stuff like that. So it makes them crave it more and more and more and create this association that you come out of the crate, be fucking on. Yeah. Right? Here is why that doesn't apply in this situation. That doesn't apply in this situation because, one, in the cases with an older dog or a working dog that you might be doing that, when you put the dog in the crate, they're not tired. They want to be out already, and they're craving to be out, right? Mm -hmm. With puppies, because they genuinely are sleeping for like 20 hours of the day, you put them in there. They might be displeased that you're putting them in there, but they're going to fall asleep pretty quickly because they need to be sleeping in those early stages with things, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you're not like holding them back per se, is forcing them into that state of rest that they need to be in anyways, like biologically, right? Mm -hmm. The second reason that doesn't apply is because Michelle specifically stated that one of the times that you should be taking your dog out is in situations where you are intentionally teaching them to relax. So the time we're taking them out is not always high energy play. It should be some high energy play, some eating and training. It should be some just relaxing and doing nothing. We used to talk about with waffles when we were filming the podcast. I would back time to that table over there and he would learn to just do absolutely nothing, right? That was an intentional time I was taking out. That's a situation like she described. And that was an hour to an hour and a half that he learned being out and doing absolutely nothing aka an off switch mm-hmm. right so so that doesn't apply to this situation there you're taking it a little bit too extreme when you're going that route right mm. now again as you deal with older dogs you do want to be careful to not overcrate too much obviously but any of this like this gets to the next question which is like how long do we do this for right when do we start to wean off of that it shouldn't be forever right this shouldn't mm. be you're doing this for six months of the dog's life where the dog is in the crate for 15 hours a day, 20 hours a day, whatever it may be, right? It should be for the first couple weeks when you bring the puppy home, and then we start to transition to giving them more and more and more and more freedom as we start to establish the skills that we need to give them the freedom, right? Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing, right? If I get a new puppy... And I start giving them a lot of freedom really quickly, but I don't have the training or the communication established to guide their behavior effectively. What's going to happen is the dog is going to rehearse unwanted behaviors. There's nothing that we can do about it. And then they start learning bad habits and developing poor behavior when they're out of the crate. Where if in the first week or two, they're only out when we're training, I focus on teaching the ability to tell the dog yes and no. I start patterning in some... um, 
some calmness and situations like that. And then I start extending that from maybe an hour of them out of the crate to two hours out of the crate, right? Mm. Two hours out of the crate to two and a half hours out of the crate. Yeah. When they inevitably try to do something wrong, like one time we were up here, Waffles tried to like chew on the on the, <laughs> on the, the thing or something yeah. like that, right? I'm able to intervene and stop it and communicate with him. That's something we don't want. Mm-hmm. And then as he learns from that and he doesn't do those things anymore, I can continue extending that time more and more and more and more, right? Yep. So the short answer is this is something Something you do while you're establishing the skills you need to give the dog more freedom out of the crate. Yeah. Right. Um, then the the other answer to that question is you give them more freedom when they earn the freedom. Yeah. Right. So I look at with younger dogs or a new dog I'm bringing into the house privileges we might give them like being out of the kennel, like sleeping in the bedroom with us, like any of those types of things Mm -hmm. as privileges they could earn through showing us that when we leave them out for extended periods of time that they don't make incorrect choices because we've guided their behavior essentially. Right. Yeah. So crate time, right? Things like that. Back ties, like I used to do with waffles a lot, stuff like that. Um, they're management techniques, right? They're management yeah. techniques while you're working through the training process. And that's the missing link people obviously like aren't getting. Some people take these like short videos like this, like so at face value mm-hmm. of like, like, we posted another one the other day of Bridget talking here. I'll, I'll show you this one also. Okay. Hang on. This one. Like you can't correct that he's anxious. Something correctable is touching the center console because he's breaking the boundary of the hammock anyway. And if you were to get in an accident and he were up there, he's going through the windshield. So that's a correctable thing. And it's a little bit more clear because then he knows, okay, if my paws touch that, I'm going to get a firm correction. Or if they're messing with this and start to roll the windows down, I call this the windowsill. I'll start correcting them. Some people do like downstays in the car, but I feel like you have to be pretty practiced at a down. And almost just correct the side effects that he's having the pacing the touching of the car interior it's an instability like he feels nervous and that's valid and he's allowed to feel anxious how can we help you feel better so so again she's teaching she's working with a client right who has their dog in a car hammock in the back seat Mm -hmm. right and the dog has issues with trying to crawl into the front seat and get on the, she calls it the windowsill, so like the armrest in the back seat, mm-hmm. all those types of things. And she's talking about stopping those things to make it safer for the dog. Yeah. And somebody commented on it, and they're like, dog should only ever be crated when in the car. And I was like, okay, well, you know, sure, a, a crate is a very safe alternative, right? Yeah. I think crating dogs in the car, if you have the ability to do so, is a fantastic idea. Yeah. Right? But. There is such a large percentage of the population that literally does not have a car big enough yeah. to put a fucking crate in it for your yeah. dog, right? Exactly. Like that's that's reality. Yeah. Right. So like, what do we what do we do then? Yeah. Right. Like what like what do you do? should should we yeah. tell the person? Well, you got to buy a new car. You yeah. can't train your dog. You got to buy a new car. Yeah. Right. Like that's obviously not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> right? like, no way. Like, yeah. Like, like so so I explained that she's like, well, you should have at least touched on the point that crates are a much safer alternative than the dog being loose in the backseat. I was like, okay, but like this is a 60-second clip where we're working with an individual client on their individual situation, coaching them through how to safely have their dog in their car in the way that they travel with their dog. Yeah. Right? And she's like, well, don't you care about... (laughs) Oh, Lord. Don't, Don't you care about giving proper information to people? I was like... Yes, I care about giving proper information to people, right? But 
we don't also give all of our information for free. Actually, we do. Like, realistically, we give all our information for free. But, like, if you're somebody who's trying to get free information of, like, exactly what to do with your dog, you're going to have to do a little digging in our short form and our long form content to get all of the pieces of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the price you have to pay of not wanting to spend money on a dog trainer. 100%. Right? Now, the people that do hire us, we will look at their situation and give them Every bit of information that possibly will apply to their situation to help them make the correct choices and navigate that kind of stuff because we're getting paid for it, right? Yep. And this just gets to the problem. Like people look at these videos and they think that if you are going to put out dog, and this is physically impossible to do, right? If you're going to put out content giving anybody any sort of like educational uh, uh, insight or tips or pointers or this or that, that you have to give every possible freaking scenario and and <laughs> and possibility yeah. and like a b c d you know what i mean like in, in every option and stuff like that you got to package that all up or else you're just doing a disservice yeah. and it's like guys let's take it let's take a chill pill for a second <laughs> right like 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 again i always yeah. i live by like there's a lot you can get accomplished with like free videos like youtube videos this that but like social media is for entertainment purposes social media is to market yourself to people mm-hmm. so that people can ultimately like i'm not in the business of training people's dogs via social media <laughs> yeah i am in the business of marketing my services via social media so you could hire me to then train your dog and give you all of the information and there are just mm-hmm. so many people that just like can't grasp that no they just like, can't wrap their head around not at all Right. <clears throat> so so getting back to the car issue, right? Yeah. There are plenty of dogs that come in that like like travel in a large SUV and they're not a huge dog. And I say, you know what? Just get a kennel. Put a kennel back there and put them in it. It's gonna be safer, it's gonna be easier. Yeah. Uh stuff like that. And and they do that, right? And if they have the mm-hmm. ability to do that, great. But there's other people that literally can't do that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we yeah. travel with all four of our dogs sometimes in my wife's car. And we can't fit four crates in the car. So guess what? Some of the dogs are loose in the car. And that's okay. They'll be they'll be fine. They'll be <laughs> just fine. Yeah. And listen, like, you know, like if you're like we could say the same thing about people. Like if you get in a serious car accident, right? Like you're gonna get seriously injured, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you have this like crazy freaking roll cage contraption inside of your car. But the seatbelt itself is not the safest, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's like exactly it's like you work with what you got. Yeah. A hundred percent. <clears throat> so those are a couple videos that we've been putting out. The like I said, the Michelle one is really great. The puppy thing, there's just so much with puppies, and she's been she's been doing a really awesome job lately, like articulating mm-hmm. the puppy side of things because she's been working with a lot of them lately. And I think they did a couple a uh, couple podcasts on that um, that you guys can go ahead and listen to. Yeah. Which brings me to my next point: more updates on things. So we officially made the uh, uh, I don't want to say made the decision, but we we moved forward with. Um, going all in on the Miracle Canine Staff Podcast. So for you guys that don't know, they've got a podcast. They're crushing it. They're like 26 or 27 episodes in now at this point. They do it every week as well. And up until this point, we've been posting them as like bonus episodes on like this Spotify channel. Mm -hmm. We made our own Spotify channel for it. So everybody can look at it. Let me go ahead and pull it up here. The Miracle Canine Show. So everybody go to the Miracle Canine Show. Look at this. 26 episodes all on there. Let me see that photo. See that? Hey, look at that. Hey, let's go. Miracle Canine Staff Podcast. 
And it is the Miracle Canine Show. So just search the Miracle Canine Show and give them a follow. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. It's all on YouTube also, obviously. Nice. We're going to be going all in on that. I'm actually getting ready to... Because right now, they've been doing everything with like a really horrible mic setup. So the yeah. audio quality is like yeah. <laughs> not anywhere near as good as it could be. Yeah. I'm getting them set up with the good stuff. There you go. It's going to be legit. So I want everybody to go on there and start following that as well right now. Do it. <clears throat> so that's going on. And then I think we got one last point to go over here. I got a message from somebody today. Mm. <clears throat> Hang on. Let me pull it up here. <laughs> there it is. Okay. All right. So let me read this. Hey, I was wondering any chance you could touch on a topic in an upcoming podcast. What people are calling old school methods, such as the Keeler method. Everyone deserves the right to educate on all kinds of dog training and make their own opinions and modifications. I was super disappointed. I went to search YouTube and Google for some sources on the method. Dave from The Art of Dogs said everyone should read up on it. I know a little, but haven't read the book, etc. I was so disappointed. Everything that popped up was what not to do in dog training one-on-one and old school methods that will ruin your dog. Like, what the fuck? Old school is where everything stemmed from. Without it, we would never be as advanced as we are today. So I'm actually frustrated. I may have to order an actual book or visit the local library. Um... (laughs) Any chance you could talk about a few old school tracking methods, the pros and cons, and maybe examples of how they're applied? I can't be the only one, and some people, owners, trainers, likely don't even know what they don't know, and we all deserve to know. Okay, so let's talk about yeah. old school dog training. I, I, we haven't even talked about that term, Keeler method, in like it's been a while, hundred yeah, episodes yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. I still want to buy the book and go over it at some point. Yeah, that'd be great. Um. Maybe I'll do that when we get off. Um, okay, so so old school methods. Generally speaking, when people refer to old school methods, they are referring to the Keeler method of dog training. Yeah. Right? Now, I'm going to get into this a little bit. I'll be the first to say, when you get into like all of the details of the Keeler method of dog training, like I don't know all of it. I know, mm-hmm. you know, the general concepts and stuff like that. But Keeler was like one of the first people that really like pioneered and put together a system of dog training, right? So it wasn't just like the like intuitive, you just kind of know the dog and like the Caesar Milan stuff. It wasn't like, Mm -hmm. you know, the at the time, like the reward-based stuff wasn't super popular or anything like that. Uh, it It was just a basic method of getting a dog to be submissive to you, compliant and obedient, right? Yeah. So um, what everybody liked about it was, again, the fact that it it was a system, right? It was a straightforward system that you could follow step by step with pretty much any dog. And the results are generally going to be pretty consistent. Now, when I say the results, I mean like the physical thing the dog is doing, right? Mm -hmm. The dog will learn how to sit. The dog will learn how to stay. The dog will learn how to come. The dog will learn how to to walk nice on a leash, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Where where it kind of fell apart was that the whole system was completely and utterly centered around just forcing the dog to do stuff, right? right? Additionally, 
getting back to like not caring a whole lot about like the dog's state of mind and all of that kind of stuff, mm. it generally was very heavy handed as well. Yeah. Is right? this what they called the yank and crank? Yank and crank all method, right. old school method, all that kind of yeah. stuff. It's it's all the same shit. Now, there are a lot of Keeler diehards out there, like to this day, like guys that are like a little bit older, 50s, 60s, you know, stuff like that, mm -hmm. that are still following the Keeler method of dog training, yeah. right? They still do it with every single one of the dogs that they work with. Yeah. And I've seen online these guys have debates with people that say, hey, listen, it's not as harsh as you think, right? Yeah. Now, again, getting back to, like, I've never taken a dog through the whole Keeler method of dog training, right? Like, I don't know that much about it past just like basic concepts and all of that kind of stuff yeah um but it I, I look at this the same way as like people that that ha that give you a hard time over just prong collar use and e-collar use in general right mm -hmm. a lot of people think like because you're using a prong collar or because you're using an e-collar that it only ever is used at the absolute highest motivation possible right mm -hmm. which we know is not true so if if okay. it's true in that context we could take the methods the keeler methods right and we could arguably say if we have a a very uh, submissive dog, right? Or a, a, a little bit maybe of a, of a nervous dog or a sensitive dog or things like that, that mm -hmm. hypothetically, you probably could work them through the Keeler method of dog training and get away with not, news, not needing to use a whole lot of pressure and then yeah. like working through it just fine, right? Yeah. Um, I think people's issue with it stems less from the actual training and I think it stems more from the state of mind of when people are taught, people associate old school dog training which is not caring about the dog right yeah. they associate it with the dog has to be compliant to us at all costs and that's where mm -hmm. you get into some of the things that you know the killer method of dog training uh, or old school dog trainers I'll, I'll talk more on just like old school dog trainers as opposed to that specific method because again i don't know all of the nuanced details of yeah. it and stuff like that but um old school dog training in general was very much of the mindset of like if the dog does something wrong or the dog acts aggressively or this or that, you know, even if it's something minor, it absolutely is punished to the most extreme, right? We're really getting on these dogs over this kind of stuff. And sometimes, you know, with things that I might let slide, right? Or I might look at and be like, well, this is more of a socialization issue, or I would address this this way, or maybe we've got to use a little counter conditioning here because the dog's not really making the mistake. They're just showing that they're uncomfortable. Those types of things, that mm -hmm. mindset goes out the window, right? It's just... This dog growled, right? Or this mm -hmm. dog did this, or this dog did that, yeah. and we need to hammer it away, yep. right? Um, additionally, where you get a lot of the flack on, like, the Keeler method of dog training is where you get into, like, some of their approaches with dealing with aggression and stuff like that. Um, you know, they had some pretty firm mentalities behind, you know, things like uh, uh, a lot of dog trainers will talk about how people used to do like helicopters and stuff like that, where people would literally pick dogs up in the air with like a choke chain and like mm. swing them around and stuff like that and like do all sorts of terrible things that obviously like we we have way better ways of correcting a dog than doing any <laughs> yeah. of that kind of stuff at this point. Yeah. Uh, they had a method that was like, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, I believe it was like a, a piece of hose with like a doll rod in it that they would take and they would crack the dog over the snout with it if they did something wrong right mm. there was a lot more harsh of methods surrounding a lot of this kind of stuff right mm. and i think that's where you know most of the dog training public at this point can look at all of that and be like again there's there's probably much better ways to handle these types of things yeah than than back in the day right so that's generally what it is right now now where is it where is it good right where is it important i think it's very important to understand 
how they took some of these dogs through the system as far as, you know, the leash handling skills, the shaping of positions, all of that kind of stuff. Because there is a lot of times that we've taken dogs that we've worked with that have zero food drive, right? They're not motivated by anything. We need to just get them into a compliant state of mind. And Mm. you could kind of lean back on some of those like old school methods of just leash handling skills, right? Teaching the dog the basics of leash pressure stuff, right? All of that, Mm. giving leash corrections for things, stuff Mm. like that, right? Um, And you could make a lot of progress with some dogs early on and things. Mm. But um, it's it's just, you know, things have evolved over time, right? Like back in the day, dog training was very rough, right? It was just the dog has to listen. The dog has to be respectful and the dog's going to get in trouble if they're not listening and if they're not respectful and that's Mm. it, right? And we've luckily moved in a direction where we could still look at dogs and say, this dog needs to listen to me, right? Like, I'm a firm believer that if I've got a dog, right, the dog has to be compliant. If I have a dog that I don't have any control of, if I take it out in public, or if I have a dog that is just, there's things I cannot do with them because they don't let me do it, I think that's a big problem in dog ownership, right? Um, But we could also look at if I'm going to hold them to that standard, I'm going to make sure I provide a quality of life for them that is... um, that is keeping their emotional well-being in mind, right? Getting back to like topics like socialization and building motivation and play and like all of those things that really just were like not on the radar with a lot of old school methods. Um, You know, we could could put those things in the mix with it and Mm. obviously, um, you know, be be much further along because of it. And then I would say the other big problem a lot of people had with some old school methods was back in the day, they used choke chains for everything. Right now, not that I necessarily have a massive issue with training tools or anything like that. Right, mm-hmm. a slip lead is basically a a cloth choke chain. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the the fact that we were giving these like really really harsh corrections with a choke chain, where now we would use a pinch collar instead, a mm-hmm. choke chain is a much less safe tool. Right. So the way it's designed mm-hmm. is when it pulls, it tightens obviously. Yeah. Right. And where that movement point is all of the pressure when you pull that leash goes into that one spot so you mm. run a lot lot higher of a risk of like doing damage to the dog's neck or yeah. esophagus or things like that um so a lot of people don't like that where pinch collars the way they're designed is not really to choke right or mm. um to put all the pressure in one spot they're designed to distribute pressure evenly around the neck so we can get away with actually using less pressure than we would if we were using a choke chain, which also makes uh, makes it safer and makes it a little mm. bit more gentle on the dog than at that yeah. point. So that's kind of the that's kind of the old school one oh one. I mean as far as the tracking and stuff like that, I don't I don't know a whole lot about tracking. I've never really uh, never really done a whole lot with tracking that was yeah. never in the sport that I did or anything like that. But um, I would just recommend just if you want to learn about it, like go buy the book there there is the Keeler method of dog training is a book you can go out and buy. Right. And like mm-hmm. I said, I, I actually I will probably be buying it. We could kind of review it a little bit on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but it's it's, you know, people just like to hate old shit. You know what I mean? Oh, like it's no different than in the world right now. People like to hate old ideas and old concepts and old ways that we used to look at the world and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, we can look at some things and say, OK, that's a little dated. Right. Yeah. We when we were reading the hunting dog book or we were reading the art of raising a puppy and stuff like that. Like yeah. there are aspects of all of those books that we can look at and be like, all right, well, that's a little dated. Yeah. Right. But that's just the way they did it back then with the knowledge yeah. that they had. 100%. Right. And I'm not saying it's the greatest thing in the world by any means <laughs> from today's standards. But yeah. back then it was the norm. 
Yeah. Right? Uh, and we could grow and evolve from it and still respect where it came from. Yeah. Right? Uh, and respect the good ideas that came from it. You know, it's, it's funny, right? Like, so, so like philosophers and uh, people that are making movement in the world and stuff like that, if you were to look at all of their ideas and put every one of their ideas out on paper, you probably can look at 50% or more of those ideas and be like, those are trash. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But that like 1% idea that made a huge difference in the world, that's massive. Yeah. Right? And what happens is then the next person comes around and they take that one really good idea and they build on it, right? Mm -hmm. And they make it even better. But still, 50% or more of their ideas are probably still going to be trash. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's how change happens. It doesn't happen from one person that knows everything. And every one of their ideas is the greatest idea that's ever existed on the face of the planet. It's yeah. incremental change over time of one person coming forward with one great thing after all of the hard, you know, bad stuff that they went through to get to it, right? And then you keep piggybacking off of it. It kind of gets back to the original comment we had when we started this entire podcast, which is there's so many hurdles along the road that you have to go to to make like advancement or do something really good in life. Mm -hmm. And if we equate it to something like dog training, right? Like Keeler brought forward an idea of creating a system, systematizing things so your everyday owner can have a well-behaved dog. And he had some loose strands in there, right? That mm -hmm. we could say, we don't need those. We can get rid of those. But these concepts we can build off of. And that's what happened in dog training. And that's how we got to modern day prong collar training, e-collar training, which is far more gentle than it ever was and still gets you the same results of a really well-trained dog is it was piggybacked off of the methods that Keeler brought to the table. Yeah. Yeah, you got to know where you came from. You know, what? where did dog training come from? Even every little bit of it came from that at some point, you know? Mm -hmm. And do you, I was, I was kind of thinking about it. Do you think it was... Um, more of a harsher feel. I mean, I don't know when Keeler's training methods came out. Do you kind of have an idea or like how old is it? We're going to find out. <clears throat> Ooh, here it is. Keeler method of dog training. 1946. Okay. So. A long yeah. fucking time ago. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like, back then, I wonder if it's uh, to equate because back then, I mean, that was before it was, like, the household dog, right? It was the farm dog, right? It was, like, the working dog. They so, were just dogs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they weren't really yeah. our pets. Pet. There was no. Right? Yeah, it they wasn't really dogs. pets. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's why it, it, it was more of a, a harsher approach sure. because it was more of, like, Hey, th this is my farm dog. This is the working animal, or whatever yeah. you know. Like they they didn't have uh, such a stature back then. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it was just I need to train this dog so it can work for me. You know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and again, like we just like we looked at them as just dogs. It's yeah. just an animal, right? Like we wouldn't think twice about it. if you told me <laughs> this is a funny this is a funny comparison. If you if you gave me a worm and told me I needed to train this worm, <laughs> I probably wouldn't be thinking too much about the emotional well being of the worm. Yeah. Right, mm -hmm. like, oh, like, right. Yeah. like if 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 a parent sees their child playing with worms in the yard and like squishing them and stuff, or yeah. ants, I don't think a parent would think twice about it. But if a parent saw a dog or a child playing around with and messing with and squishing dogs, 
they would have a big problem with that. Yeah. That's because we look at the animals as two very different things. Yeah. One is a part of our family, a companion, right? The other is literally just some fucking animal. Yeah. Right? And back in the day, dogs were much more in that direction than they are right now. And again, we could evolve from that. Right. Mm-hmm. We can look at dogs now and, and look at how wonderful they are and, and, and look at them and, and understand that we could give them rights. Right. From mm-hmm. the standpoint of like cruelty and, and how we need to care for them and stuff like that and, mm-hmm. and enforce those types of things. But back in the day, that was not something that was on people's radar. No. You know, you know, I was, I was thinking, too, because Devin is into horses. You know, yeah. I, I watched a lot of it. But if people train dogs like they still train horses to this day. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> you would. That people would lose their shit. Yeah. But, you know, it's a... Well, and there's movements in the horse world, too, though, of, like, you oh, know, yeah. force-free horse trainers and, and stuff like that that are against all of that kind of stuff. And, and horses yeah. is another thing that's moved further and further. You know, again, I'm sure there's still people that train very old school with horses. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? But, like, that's definitely had a big evolution as well. Yeah, yeah. They've changed, like, the, <clears throat> the mouth bits and, you know, the spurs aren't, like, the old west spurs anymore yeah, yeah, where you, yeah. Gotta, like, really dig in. Yeah. But, you know, that you still kind of use... a you know, the crops every yeah, once in a while sure. and stuff uh-huh. like that. But I mean, yeah. Could you imagine if you, yeah, yeah, yeah. someone comes into your training facility and you know, yeah. <laughs> train them to sit in your crop? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People would lose their shit, you know? Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's tough, you know, like, cause like, I think a lot of people expect dog trainers to just like, just just fucking right off all that shit. Like, killer method of dog training was bullshit. You know, it's so harsh and abusive yeah. on the animals and this and that. It's like, Again, like I could disagree with so much of it, but still respect how it played a role in how modern dog training came about. Yeah. And I'm sure it's what, like, when we looked it up, it was like the 50s, 60s when the, the dog. 46. Like, no, oh, no, when, that, when, when, the, when the, the household dog became a thing. Like yeah, the I'm nuclear sure. family, nu- nuclear, sorry, not nuclear, nuclear family. <laughs> nuclear. Like, you know. You're talking there was a time when the. Like when, when it became like a. Did dogs become household pets household pet it'll probably be like in 3000 bc yeah, that's what it says between 27,000 and 40,000 years ago that's not what we're talking about yeah but i feel like that was the the movement when like you know dad went to work the wife was at home and had the kids and the one dog in the dog house in the back yeah yeah, I don't think we're going to find an answer yeah. to that. Because all these say 40,000 years ago, and they're yeah. talking about, like, pharaohs and shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, you know, when it became, uh, like, a, yeah, a yeah. household norm, I think, was, like, the 50s and 60s. And that's probably when people started to have a different outlook on, yeah, yeah, yeah. on that method. Very interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. But, yeah, no, I mean, you just need to you just need to, to, to understand and, and, and learn from that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like we study history to learn from our mistakes, mm-hmm. right? So we could study the history of dogs to learn from mistakes also. Yeah. Uh, and if anything, you're going to learn a lot and be able to evolve dog training even more by understanding and having a little bit of a respect for it, you know? Yeah, exactly. So that's my thoughts on old school dog training. Like I said, I, I am going to buy that book and uh, and we'll we'll start reviewing yeah. it on the podcast. Yeah, a we haven't bit. done we haven't done a book in a while. No, we haven't. That might be a good one to do. Yeah, talk a little bit about. Cool. All right, guys. Well, until next time, um, enjoy yourselves. Have a great day. Bye.